Kansas anymore. Are you ready? No, I'm just getting warmed up. This task was appointed to you. I said I want the truth! I say we take off and loop the entire site in Dodge this. Hello and welcome back to the BBFC podcast. I'm Megan, PR and Communications Officer here at the BBFC. In the last podcast, we discussed the U rating and how it's changed since the inception of the BBFC. I think this leads us nicely into our next rating symbol, the PG. Today I'm joined by Lucy Brett, our Head of Education, and Ben, one of our Compliance Officers. Um, you might have seen them previously in the International Women's Day podcast, so welcome back, both of you. Thanks for having us. And today we're going to be discussing all things PG. Um, So I'll start briefly with a bit of history behind the PG. So, Lucy, the PG classification was introduced in 1982, and it actually borrowed its name from the PG classification from the US. What was this in response to? The PG came about largely um, as part of a more general overhaul of the classification system, which was around... um, a thing called the Williams Committee, which was looking at obscenity and film censorship, so quite sort of grown-up issues, mm-hmm. um, and that reported in 1979. So over the early 80s, um, there was a change to the whole system, and U was retained, um, but m- all the other categories changed, and um, the A category, which had been around since the beginning, um, since 1912 the A category became sort of the PG. So it's kind of the PG is the extension of the A. But the A, like a lot of them, and like those who listen to the U podcast will know, the categories that have been around since the 1910s and 1920s changed a lot over time. So the A meant slightly different things at different times. The PG came in in the early 80s, and it was really there to make it clear that uh, there are some films where you parents would have to have a slightly, you know, take a little more interest in whether it's going to be appropriate for their children. So you've got you, which is this universal, suitable for all category, and then PG comes in to say, you might want to think about it. Things might not be suitable for much younger children. Yeah, I mean, the PG stands for parental guidance, so um, usually we would recommend if children were to watch a PG film that their parents maybe do check our rating info. Definitely, and I think not only do we sort of hope parents check the info and things like that, we also want them to think quite carefully about their individual child, don't you think, Ben? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that that's the, the meaning of PG, really, that, that parents can tailor the view into their individual families and their needs. But you have to think about families back before we had the insight or ratings info and how they would. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't have as much information to go on as is available now. No, absolutely. And so, so I guess the sort of yellow triangle met something very sort of emphatic at that point. Mm. The other thing to bear in mind with PG is that, um, because Ben does lots of work, as I do, going and speaking to people and and, and chatting to you about what you worry about in films Mm -hmm. and and stuff like that. And we, when we define PG in our guidelines, we talk about children of eight and over. So that is quite a jump from you, where we're talking about children of four and over. So what's interesting about PG and why you find so many amazing and interesting films there and films that are really challenging and films that are exciting and films that have wide appeal to grown-ups and to children at the same time the reason you have that is because you're talking about films that are suitable for this audience that's just that bit older they've got more literacy they're in the key stage two if you go to a school the key stage two playground will have all the big things to climb on it's a time of huge exploration and education and those sorts of things so you've got this kind of big jump in terms of what that audience can cope with and that's why you get these sort of interesting titles it's not all just sort of slam dunk middle of the road kids films at pg you've got 
really quite interesting content and hopefully we can talk about some examples that sort of cross across those. Yeah, definitely. I'm really excited to go more into the case studies and talk about a few PGs that I think we've all watched that are a bit more complex. Some of them are a bit more accessible for children. And how do the classification guidelines define the term? Well, there's, I mean, there's lots of different ways. I mean, a very simple way is we sort of, we look at all the issues and we talk about what is at the milder end. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're talking to parents to check that we're getting it right with the guidelines, we're showing them clips and things and saying, you know, how would you describe this? Would you feel like this has a particular impact? Mm-hmm. So at PG, things are going to have a bit more impact. It's going right. to be um, more intense. Maybe we talk about happy endings and reassuring endings at you. And at PG, often there are those things, but often there's uh, a bigger suite of ways you could interpret things and also there might be more resonant ways you might mitigate so at a PG you might have quite complicated themes Mm -hmm. but perhaps say it's funny and we'll come on to that later with horrible histories you have really quite difficult ideas coming through in a way that's acceptable at PG because it's not too intense so the next category up is 12 12a Mm -hmm. Um, and we know from our research that um, and the guidelines that parents are particularly concerned about that that age group that they are Mm -hmm. increasingly have their own tablets that they're increasingly dictating their own viewing so we are remembering that there's also quite a lot changing when you're that age we've just done a resource for the PSHE association working with them about how you make choices because when you're 9 10 11 these are times when you're starting to make those choices so yeah the rule of thumb is this sort of archetypal eight-year-old or sort of key stage two student and how do they understand it and like all the categories as I'm sure all the podcasts about them will show you have the milder end and a stronger end and there are some PGs which really are quite rough and tough and much more copable with if you're 10-11 and some PGs which really have just squeaked into the PG that just slightly too unsettling or unnerving for you right. and they maybe just benefit from being with your mum or your big sister or your big brother when you watch it. And Ben, well you've talked, um, Lucy just told us a bit more about PG issues and issues that might come up in the PG um, classification, what would you say the key issues are that you might see? Can you give any examples of films that might incorporate some of these themes? Yeah, I mean, in, in recent years we've had um, Goosebumps films, haven't we? Yes. Um, they, were, they were an example of um, a, a pair of films as they are now, which have sort of pushed a little bit at what you might expect in terms of threat. Um, right. Certainly they wouldn't have been um, permissible at you, but um, also if we would have passed them at, at twelve, then you, you would worry that they would sort of miss their natural audience, which is largely probably people between the ages of maybe eight and and twelve, certainly nine and ten. You, you would expect to want to see it. Um, so threat is is a particularly PG uh, issue and one that's constantly shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever we do pass films like that and Monster House, I remember and Coraline and that, um, there's the very often. Um, a response from uh, audiences about uh, they sometimes be a little bit surprised that we've allowed some of that, that PG. But usually would you say within a PG context there's always um, positive at the end of the film that maybe reinforces that behaviour or justifies it um, and puts it into context into a bigger story? Certainly in films aimed at children, you'd usually expect something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll come on to it because we'll try and give some good examples. There are examples of PG films which are um, serious and they're aimed at grown-ups and they just don't happen to contain anything that's right. strong or moderately strong. So there isn't any strong swearing. Um, there isn't any particularly intense, uh, moderate to strong violence. There isn't any blood or detail and those sorts of things. So mm-hmm. we... We don't all. It's not always children's films, and sometimes they don't end that happily at PG. Right. But um, 
it's not a requirement, but for the most part, especially when they're aimed at children, it will be very mindful of how children are likely to react to those things. Right. And I mean, to go back to the broader history of the um, PG as well, there's quite a large gap between PG and 15. And um, obviously before the 12 and 12A came into effect, um, there was some decisions that were made on a more historic level that might not be made today. So what would you advise parents to do in those instances? It's, it's interesting um, you should ask about parents because I think it's a, a real issue for a lot of parents who've got young kids at the moment because not all but a great many of them will be people who have these sort of PG films of their childhood which perhaps seem a little strong now when you look at them. Um, and as you've rightly pointed out, there was a huge gulf between PG and 15. So in the 80s when it came in it was you, PG, 15, 18. And that's a big jump. And so the people who watched the films at the time, we called examiners, and those examiners had to make quite difficult decisions sometimes mm -hmm. where they would, with where they would put sort of preteen or tween, as we would call it now, content. And so, as you say, sometimes there are films that came out on video like Jaws, you know, which ends up with this, this PG, which is now quite famous, or you've got um, films like Weekend at Bernie's, I think, which is a sort of really very sort of, 12A-ish kind of conceit that went, was at 15 because there was nowhere else to put it. And there's all these other ones that are either pushed into 15, Top Gun, Gremlins, those sorts of things, or the lower ones that are Ghostbusters at PG, which are a bit tasty or a bit have a, have a few issues which might raise an eyebrow now or might simply just be not what you would expect because you go to the cinema and you see PGs now and you've, you've, see, you've seen you know, Peter Rabbit and things like that and you're not expecting a PG to look like that. So our advice to parents would always be check the ratings info because a great many of those films, if not all of them now, because we've been working so hard on our archives, have ratings information. So they will tell you what the issues are, even if it's a, a U or a PG from a long time ago and that's going to be slightly different now, you'll get an idea. You can also write to us um, or email or tweet us and we, we provide information if it's an older film that just says you know contains moderate violence but it doesn't have any detail we can provide more information about older films so you must do a lot of that with your um, compliance work yeah uh, the other thing as well is when there was only PG and 15 and nothing in between in many instances films would be cut in yes. order to get a PG and so people might have a false memory of what the films actually are and when they go to see the uncut version there's a lot of material in there that they didn't see the first time around and, oh. and has suddenly appeared because it's from the 15 that's cut. that's really true so you ended up with these things like um so good examples of that would be things like uh, I think Robin Hood Prince of Thieves or Mrs Doubtfire where a lot of people saw the PG version yeah. when actually of course by a certain point in history in America there already was a PG-13 so a lot of films were aimed at these sort of mid-low teen audiences and in the UK we were having to put them slightly artificially into one category or the other. So Ben, um, I'm trying to think of some more classic PGs that our audience might know. Um, one that comes to mind is Barry Lyndon. Can you tell me a bit about the classification process for that one or maybe how it's changed over the years? I know it was originally a PG. It was re-released theatrically in 2016, which is when I saw it. And uh, the most recent classification we had then, of course, was the the video PG um, but seeing it and measuring it against the guidelines that were in place at the time it was one that struck us as definitely not any longer defensible at um, PG and this happens quite often because for so many years there was nothing in between 12 and 15 routinely a film will come in uh, that's that's been being reissued um, for a theatrical release uh, and it's always been a PG 
and it was a PG because the you know they didn't want to pass it at fifteen, but it probably should have been. It was probably closer to a, to a, a twelve than than to a PG, uh, and so we have to kind of measure it against our our current standards, and and very often it'll change category. So Barry Lyndon uh, became a twelve or a twelve A rather, uh, having previously been an A and then a PG. Well, what were the particular things about it that took it up from PG to what would now be a 12 or a 12A? Sex references, uh, there was violence in it, there's scenes of people being whipped, um, there's the famous uh, gunfight sequences, um, there's quite a lot in it, and it was one where really the ratings info that it went finally went out with was moderate violence, sex, nudity. Gosh, um, you know what? I've seen that years ago. I, I would never have remembered that it had those things in it, the, the sex and nudity. Um Maybe you saw a cut version. <laughs> I could have done. But did, um, yeah, I remember the violence being quite impactful, but very stagey, is that right? It is It is sort of stagey, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a Kubrick film with all the kind of, you know, stylized elements that that usually entails. But um, but it's all there. And it, I can see why it was PG rather than 15. But um, given that we had the, the sort of privilege of being able to give it a 12, it was, it was definitely felt totally better at that category. Can you think of any other um, maybe case studies or example that have fallen into a similar line where historically we have rated them PG or rated them outside of PG and they've fallen back into that category? Well, the mission was another similar one where I came to it and for reclassification and it was an established PG, um, but it had originally been seen before the 12 came along um, and it was a bit of a bloodbath and uh, <laughs> it definitely didn't feel like a PG when I saw it a couple of years ago and so it was reclassified as 12. So a recent film that you might have seen in cinemas is Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Um, ben, can you tell us a bit more about the classification process for that because I know there were originally advice viewings for it in terms of some issues that it might raise within a PG category? Yeah, that's right. Very often with a big release, uh, it'll be submitted to us in advance um, for an advice screening, which is an informal process where we'll look at the film and we'll give guidance to the distributor on what classification it's likely to receive without any guarantees. And in many cases, when we see films at that stage, they're not actually complete. And this was one such case where some of the digital effects hadn't been fully rendered. And so particularly with scenes of violence and threat, it was difficult to know for sure whether they would actually be PG level or whether they would even go beyond um, and of course your imagination can run away with you when you're left to fill in the detail of a scene um, mm-hmm. and you can always wonder whether it might be worse so there was some anxiety as to whether the PG that the film was earmarked for at the advice stage would actually be okay and um, it was quite a relief when we saw the final version to see that sure. the way that they'd um, completed those scenes meant that it was it was quite well contained at PG. It's an interesting one, isn't it, Maleficent, uh, Mistress of Evil? Because obviously when Maleficent came in, Maleficent, the first film, was in fact cut for PG um, right, yeah. by the by the distributor who, who, who definitely wanted a PG for it. And um, it is up there as what we were talking about earlier, one of these quite robust PGs where it has got some strong moments, um, but my experience of watching it with a PG audience is that they, they very much understood the fantastical element, which, again, is one of those very clear mitigators. Um, and Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, of course, is sitting amongst this sort of new canon, if you like, of, of reimaginings or remakes or CGI remakes or live-action remakes of Disney classics. 
Lucy, is there anything we should note from the Certificate for Maleficent Mistress of Evil? We ran a competition earlier this year for a young person in the UK to design the card for Maleficent. And so we've spent a good deal of the summer, Ben and my education team and other other staff at the BBFC from all departments um, with hundreds and hundreds of, of amazing drawings capturing the magic of cinema, capturing what Maleficent means, what um, Disney films more broadly meant, but also what going to the cinema really means to young people in the UK, how excited they are about it, how much they love it. And um, we used one of those designs chosen by David um, and Patrick, who signed the BBFC certificates, and by key staff at Disney, we used one of those designs for the black card for Maleficent. So instead of the standard black card, you've got this incredible drawing by this young woman called May. Uh Um, But the other amazing thing that that happened at the same time is we are relaunching, we have been relaunching our symbols so that they work better online and and, um, so that they're big and clear. And so May's card was the first card to carry the new PG, which is still a yellow triangle and still has PG in it, but is a sort of really bold new design. So it was really exciting to see that in cinemas, Um, not least because I think it just sort of really underscores what going to the cinema means when you're younger and what a PG is, because PGs are about sort of kids and what they like and what they feel about films. Mm. That's so lovely for her as well to um, have won that competition. So congratulations, May. Um, I've heard you had quite a lot of competition for that one. So um, your design was absolutely brilliant if you are listening. Have you seen it, Ben? Yeah, I was one of the judges. Oh, so, uh, brilliant. Yeah, I took part in the whole process. And oh, it looks amazing. great, yeah. Very excited to see it on a big screen. Yeah, I can't yeah. wait. So going back to a few other case studies, Horrible Histories recently did a film. Um, and that's a programme that I was aware of as being younger and used to read the books when I was younger. I always thought it was interesting how Horrible Histories touched on historic events that could be determined to be quite um, graphic or there's quite a lot of violence within the history that they depict. Uh, how does it tailor the more grisly aspects of history to a PG audience? This this was an interesting one, Horrible Histories, in as far as we were actually involved. Uh, we were consulted about it before... Um, they even began shooting. They actually sent us the script to give advice oh. on whether it would be likely to be um, acceptable at PG there. So we had to go through this script with a fine tooth comb and highlight anything, you know, heads being lopped off and battle scenes and all kinds of rude humour and stuff and just give them general advice about how they could make sure that it would stay within uh, the confines of the PG category and not go too far. And again, it's difficult because when you're reading it on the page, things can jump out at you as seeming potentially quite graphic because in your imagination you're, you're thinking about severed heads and severed limbs and stuff like that. And you, you kind of, you know, it may be that just before you read that you were watching a, a, an 18 horror film and so that's your what you've got in your mind as a template of what that looks like and you're projecting it, projecting it onto the Horrible Histories <laughs> screenplay. Well, I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers, but there is a scene where um, a decapitated head falls onto a lady's lap and she says, is anyone missing a head? <laughs> um, and put outside of a PG context, um, I suppose that that visual might be a bit jarring, but in the context of horrible histories, um, they do it in such a clever way and it is very fantastic and doesn't apply to real life. And I think that's why it is still contained within that classification. Yeah, and I think there's some other things too that are really interesting about horrible history. So 
first of all, as you say, like yourself, a lot of people have read the books or seen the TV series or bought the DVDs, which obviously we rated all of those. And we can come on to that in, in a minute. But um, so they have an idea what they're going to get. Also, kids are learning about this sort of stuff at school. So it's, um, you know, they've heard about, you know, Guy Fawkes. They've heard about the Battle of Hastings. They've heard about um, Samuel Pepys burying his cheese in the Great Fire of London. And they know about this sort of stuff. Um, so they're really interesting. And one thing that the horrible histories do very well is use humour, as you say, like with jokes and stuff. But they also use like near constant toilet and bottom humour. And it's a lot about <laughs> trumps and, and the bodily and things, which, as we all know, um, are, are, yes, a bit disgusting, but mostly completely irresistible to that sort of PGH audience. So that for them, it's a, very much speaking their language, I think, when they're showing the Romans on the one hand, torturing some someone or putting gladiators in a ring on another hand, um, yeah. wiping their bottom in a way that we wouldn't do nowadays. <laughs> and that's kind of what the charm is. But um, there is a sort of more serious aspect, which I think is quite important with horrible histories and really does speak to PG, actually, and why the PG category is important. And that's that Horrible Histories has been very, very smart in how it's looked at more contemporary history, especially more contemporary history that has a lot of resonance. So obviously, um, you know, things happening in the Tower of London, Henry VIII and those things, they don't have the same resonance resonance perhaps as stories about uh, discrimination and immigration and refugees um, and fascist regimes and those sorts of things which do come up in contemporary history so we have sometimes some of the horrible histories tv stuff by the way went at you because it was very much um pulling its punches and, and and stopping going anywhere where it was had any resonance or being very contained but some of them, for example, w there's a, an amazing episode with a song about Rosa Parks sitting on a bus. There's some very interesting stuff looking at Martin Luther King and his legacy. And it combined, for example, real life news footage with um, the actors performing and acting out these roles. And they included things like racist sinography and, and signage in, in areas of America and sort of very real moments in history that children might identify with very closely, not least because, as we know, sadly, a lot of those issues are still around in, in the world for children because when we do it at the guidelines, they will talk to us about how um, recent events have upset them. So a question I did want to ask... Um, is I was trying to think of PG examples that are maybe quite emotive or that have made me feel a certain way and that I, I just wondered from your perspective to what extent emotion really come into PGs because I was thinking of Lion, for example, which is quite an emotive film. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. I don't want to give any spoilers, but there's some scenes that are quite hard-hitting, and I just wondered how that works in terms of classification. Would we have necessarily taken that into consideration? Absolutely, it would be taken into consideration. And in fact, if you go and look into why it's a PG and the um, ratings info, you'll find that it's uh, it does specifically state scenes of emotional intensity and mild threat. <clears throat> um, Lion is, is a good uh, and interesting PG, really, because it doesn't sit alongside something like you know frozen or you the know, lion king the lion king yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's yeah the lion king it's it's a very different film it's not a children's film although the f um initial segment of it is about child characters um but there isn't anything really in it that you would would necessitate a higher category than than pg it is upsetting uh, i remember seeing it here in theater and both myself and the other examiner were uh 
quite upset, visibly upset, I would say. Well, I mean, the thing about Lion, which um, I particularly enjoy is, um, and this is also another spoiler, so I do apologise to our listeners, but um, the ending is a very positive one. Um, He's reunited and there is an overwhelming sense of him reclaiming his identity, which I think is really nice within a PG setting that there might have been an element of upset, but... The end, bottom line is um, this reconnection of family and identity, which I think is really, really nice. Um, would, would you agree with that? I would, yeah. I do wonder with Lion whether the, the um, if we were to, if it came in today, it might be seen slightly differently just because uh, when we did the last um, update of our guidelines, we slightly altered the um, policy regarding... Um, sexual violence and sexual threat and there are a couple of scenes in Lion which are played very subtly uh, and a young audience wouldn't necessarily pick up on some of the cues but there are some scenes where arguably there is a degree of sexual threat to children when they're kind of abducted um, it's, there's nothing to explicitly state what the intentions of the abductors are but very now we have a very clear policy that any scenes of sexual threat wouldn't be passed at PG so it's possible we might look at it differently um, I'd have to see the scenes again really but it's possible it might be, have a different category now yeah, It's really hard when you've got something in your head and you remember it you can remember something with more force than you... You know, we've all done that you've said, oh, there's this really hilarious scene in a film and it's not as funny as you remember or there's this really scary film and it's... But, um, yeah, Lion definitely taps into that. And I think also um, what's interesting for Lion at PG is that it's got... It manages to capture that emotion, so therefore there's a credibility about the fear or upset about that character. So when you're watching it, you might empathise quite a lot with it um, and and sort of feel in in his place, if you like, or or upset like him. And I I definitely think it's interesting to think about our... um, The PG and how it interlinks with the 12 in terms of how the classifications have changed recently. I mean, Lion was only 2016, and we're already discussing how PG-rated films might now change. Um, I think that's what's so interesting about the history of the BBFC and the symbols and how public opinion really does change the way they are perceived by the public. Of course, people's people's values are changing all the time. Societal values, societal expectations are changing all the time. And, you know, we do have to respond to that. And that's why we have the the guidelines consultations every few years and and update um, the way in which we try to represent expectations of uh, the cinema going public. And Lucy, can you think of any films to Lee that um, we might have missed or any that you think really exemplify the PG or show how it's changed? I think it would be really a shame to, to not include in a PG podcast something about slapstick and humour. And I was trying to think about about that and about films that really epitomise that, but also about what we've been saying about some films at PG being aimed at children and some being aimed at a wider audience and some being aimed at parents and that sort of thing. And I kept coming back to um, the 2018 film Stan and Ollie, which is this sort of biographical drama about the famous comic film stars and um, their sort of twilight years when they come on a trip of the, around the UK and they perform. And it's such an interesting example of a PG because... On one reading, there's very little in it that takes it out of you. It's a very, very funny, very heartwarming thing, although it's fairly serious. I mean, it's about two elderly man, men, one with failing health, who are having a sort of fallout, which is, is, is sort of sad and emotionally engaging, but it also has a huge amount of humour and the sort of musical slapstick. Mm. Um, so people tripping over broken eggs and, and breaking their legs and that sort of thing. 
Um, but the things that were important classification-wise aren't necessarily what people might imagine. So I thought when it was a PG, it was going to be a PG because they'd fallen down the stairs or that sort of thing. And actually it was a PG because, well, I mean, I think you were on the team, Ben, but because there was some mild language. And of course, um, over the last 10 years, there have been some slight shifts in how we perceive as a as a culture uh, swearing. So we were told by parents they definitely didn't want any swearing at use, whereas for many years you would get occasional bits of very mild or mild language, and that's not the case now at use. So partly this one or two isolated uses of pretty mild language yeah. took Stan and Ollie up to PG. Um, but also there is this kind of... Um, uh, sort of mildly melancholy tone I guess and of course lots of people smoking all the way through which I don't know if it would have taken it out of you necessarily but it's quite a diff something you wouldn't expect these days maybe in a PG right. I mean what did you think classifying it well I, I know what you mean because the way that it was marketed you'd see the posters and it's a very sort of iconic image of, of the two of them in the hats yeah. and, uh, I mean even my sort of one year old as he was at the time would shout out when he saw the poster stand and dolly because he recognised them so I think because of the way that the film was marketed, uh, a lot of the posters and stuff featured um, Laurel and Hardy in the iconic hats, and um, you know, young people recognised that, and that's why families felt compelled to take the children along to see it. Of course, they'll have seen lots of Laurel and Hardy in U-rated cartoons, Hopefully. and of course, the original features that we've classified, many of which are still you. So this sort of film marks this sort of slight move up because it's a more contemporary drama, I suppose. I saw uh, recently Judy. And in many ways, it's sort of not a dissimilar film to Stan and Ollie in that it's a, um, a sort of biographical drama about a Hollywood star coming over to Britain and, and, and working there in the sort of twilight years. Uh, and I mean, really, there wasn't much to separate uh, Judy from Stan and Ollie. It's just language. Um, the language is a bit stronger in, in, uh, in Judy. And there are a couple of other issues as well. But on the whole, they're not too dissimilar, but clearly different classifications. I think that brings the end to our podcast. So thank you so much. It's been so interesting to hear from both of you and I've really enjoyed hearing about more about the PG and especially how it's changed over time. So thank you very much and I'm sure I'm sure hopefully we'll we'll have you again on the podcast soon. Keep an eye out for our upcoming podcast as we look through the various age rating certificates and how they've changed. Next time we'll be discussing the twelve and twelve A, so stay tuned for that. You can also contact us with any questions by emailing us on podcasts at bbfc.co.uk or by tweeting BBFC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with more insight into the BBFC classification from past to present. Thank you.